This world is hungry for a leader. This world is hungry for a king, a king who will provide, a king who will protect, a king who will reign rightly and justice. Lord, and our, and our world is full of people fighting for the good king. And Father, we're asking that as we come to the King Jesus now, the king who has given his life for us, Lord, that you would convince us of his grace and of his goodness. So open our hearts, Lord, to receive from your word now. Would you, would you give us nourishment to our souls from it, Lord? Would we receive strength and comfort and assurance of your, of your favor and of your love? So Holy Spirit, open our hearts, open our eyes today and in these moments. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen. This is the part of our gathering where we come together around the scriptures, which we believe are God's uh, word to us. So I'll invite you to open uh, a copy of the scriptures to John chapter 7. John chapter 7. We're going to begin reading at verse 37. We um, have, for as a church community, we've been in uh, John's gospel, which is a uh, Greco-Roman biography written uh, by Jesus' best friend, John, one of Jesus' 12 disciples, um, shortly after Jesus uh, ascended uh, back to heaven. And we've been, we've been in here for about a year, and we've taken a couple of breaks. We've just uh, finished a bit of a break from there where we were uh, looking at biblical renewal, biblical revival, and um, taking a season to say, when God's Spirit moves in a community, what, what are the fruits? And how can we position ourselves? How can we posture ourselves before God to see... Uh, an extraordinary period of his activity, but we're returning now to John chapter uh, to John's gospel, and we'll be in here through Advent, which is uh, not too far away. Um, and uh, where we left off is here in John chapter seven, where Jesus has, um, and we've seen. If you haven't been with us, uh, maybe you're newer uh, to our community, and if you are, welcome. Uh, we've seen how John has organized his gospel around. Um, seven signs, he calls them signs, miraculous signs that Jesus performs um, that testify to who he is. And John in in, uh, chapter 20 says that he could have recorded many more signs, many more things that Jesus has done. Um, But he says these are recorded, these signs are recorded so that you would believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you would have life in his name. And so these signs are meant to point to something. That's what signs do. Signs aren't the point, but they point to something that is the point. And so these signs have been um, given to us, recorded for us by John, to convince us of the identity of Jesus and who he is and what he's all about, what he's like. And so um, Jesus has, uh, has done four of these signs up until this point, and he's gone to um, the Feast of Tabernacles in Jerusalem. And so Jesus had, as he was performing these signs, like feeding 5,000 with a couple of fish burgers, he has, had created a large following. He had created a, a mass of people who were beginning to follow him and, and, and uh, listen to his teaching and begin to call him, themselves disciples of Jesus. But then he began to say some hard things. He, he talked about things like, you need to eat my flesh, you need to drink my blood, and all of these diff- some difficult things. And uh, many people started to leave Jesus. And, G- and, and so some of Jesus' brothers were saying, Let's be your, we're going to be your PR managers. Jesus, what you need to do is you need to go to the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Booths in Jerusalem, which is the largest of all of the uh, Jewish feasts, most highly attended feast. 
in the calendar year. And what you need to do there is you need to perform some miraculous signs so that people will again begin to follow you. You've become unpopular. You're down in the polls. Here's how you can raise your popularity. Do something spectacular. You know, feed people for free. Like that's, that's a way to gain some fans, Jesus. And Jesus says, no, no, no. That's not, you don't understand what I'm all about. But he says he went anyway. And while he was at that feast, it becomes clear that religious leaders are out to get him. They want to arrest him. They want to kill him. They want to stop his message. Their, Jesus' message, Jesus' person is a threat to them and, and to their power. And, uh, and so um, they're out to get him. They're out to find a way to arrest him and to ultimately execute him. And so there's this rising controversy surrounding Jesus. And so then, here in verse 37, we'll begin reading in John chapter 7. On the last and the greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, it literally says, he shouted, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. By this, he meant the spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive. Up to that time, the spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. On hearing his words, some of the people said, surely this man is the prophet. Others said, he is the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah, the one that Israel was waiting for the deliverer, the prophet, the, 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 the coming savior king who would deliver Israel from all of her enemies by fighting her battles for her. That's what, there's, there's much meaning here in the, these titles, the prophet, the Christ. Continuing on, verse 41. Still others asked, how can the Christ come from Galilee? Does not the scripture say that the Christ will come from David's family and from Bethlehem, the town where David lived? Thus the people were divided because of Jesus. Some wanted to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him. Finally, the temple guards, so these are people who had been sent, we had read this earlier, back in the summer, um, um, in verse, uh, where was that? I forget it now. Anyhow, earlier on in John chapter 7, trust me, you'll find it. Um, and I'll find it as soon as I was, if I wasn't on the spot, um, had sent these people to arrest Jesus, but um, they didn't. They came back and said, um, verse 45, the temple guards went back to the chief priests and Pharisees who asked them, why didn't you bring him in? No one ever spoke the way this man does, the guards declared. You mean he's deceived you also? The Pharisees retorted, has any of the rulers or of the Pharisees believed in him? No. But this mob that knows nothing of the law, there's a curse on them. Nicodemus, who had gone to Jesus earlier and who was one of their own numbers, he was a Pharisee, but he had gone to Jesus, John chapter 3, John 3.16, Jesus said that to him. Does our law condemn anyone without first hearing him to find out what he's doing? They replied, are you from Galilee too? Look into it, and you will find that a prophet does not come out of Galilee. This is God's word to us this morning. And so John chapter 7 is full of this growing controversy swirling around Jesus. Jesus is always controversial. He always has been, and he always will be. And in the middle of this context of controversy where 
where he knows that people are, are out to get him. They've actually sent temple guards to go and arrest him. In the middle of that controversy, Jesus stands up and he shouts. He speaks in a loud voice. He cries out, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. So I want to see this morning how open he is, how open Jesus is. I want us to see how personal he is. I want us to see how generous he is. How open, how personal, and how generous Jesus is. And we're really going to focus in on what Jesus shouted. What Jesus shouted in the middle of the feast. So first of all, how open he is. How open is Jesus? We really see his openness in in two ways. Um, He says, if anyone thirsts, if anyone thirsts, verse 38, whoever believes in me, these wide open, inclusive words, anyone, whoever, includes you. It includes you. You can be gathered into this. You are pre-approved to receive this gift, this priceless gift of living water. And so right now, you need to get out of your head any notion that the Lord does not intend this for you. But, but this is also open because there's really, of what comes after the word thirst. What comes after the word thirsts? If anyone is thirsty, there's just a comma. And I think that's beautiful. There's only a comma. He doesn't say, if anyone's thirsty for God. He doesn't say, if anyone is thirsty for holiness. If anyone is thirsty for the truth. If anyone is moral. If, he just says, if anyone thirsts. Is anyone thirsty? And we all are. Everyone thirsts. Really, for us, it's just a question of what, what is it that we thirst after? What is it that we desire deep in our hearts and the scriptures would say is that deep in our hearts however our desires however our thirst is expressed that deep underneath all of that is a thirst for jesus you may not know it yet but what you really want is found in jesus gk chesterton famously said he says when a young man goes knocking on the door of a brothel he's searching for god he wouldn't obviously articulate that but what he's searching for is ultimately found only in God. So what door are you knocking on? Augustine said, you made us for yourself. And our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. Some of us, some of us are thirsty for friendship because we're lonely. You need to hear this morning that Jesus is the friend you're looking for. That he loved you first. Before you even cared about him. So he cannot let you down. Some of us are, are, are thirsty. Just they wanna, We want to be clean again because we've really defiled ourselves. With all kinds of things. And you need to hear this morning that Jesus is the cleansing. The gentle, non-shaming cleansing that you're looking for. And he doesn't throw in a cheap shot. Some of us are are thirsty for safety because we've been violated. 
And I want to tell you that Jesus is the mighty and fierce defender of all who come to him. Some of us just wish we were happy. It's not really all that complicated. Our hearts are heavy and we wish they were light. And Jesus says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He says, let me take that load off of your weary shoulders and let me put that on my broad shoulders. Let me carry that load for you. Some of us wish we were more certain about the great questions of life. We were skeptical of simplistic formulas. And Jesus is the only one who said, I am the truth. Now, if anyone said that, if anyone stood up here and says, you know what? I am the embodiment of truth. We'd, la- we'd say, this guy is crazy. This guy's crazy. But listen, Jesus says, I am the truth. And no one's laughing. Now, they don't all agree with him, but the- no one's laughing. So what's your thirst? Your thirst may not be noble. Maybe you just want to be invited to the best parties. Maybe you're wondering how long this gathering will last because you want to go home and look at some stuff on the internet. Some of you just want your kids to like you. There are as many thirsts in this room as there are people. And all of us thirst for things that are right. And and all of us thirst for some things that are wrong. But whatever you ache for, here is what you must know. That what underneath what you thirst for in its purest, in its most sacred, in its most lasting, in its most satisfying form, is ultimately found in Jesus and Jesus only. You were made for Him. Your heart was designed to enjoy Him forever. And here's, here's the worst thing about me. Here, this is so true of me, is that we treat Him like a last resort. We try every, every other avenue for fulfillment. We try every other avenue for joy. We try every other option for, for lasting meaning. And he says to us at this moment, come to me and drink. That's amazing. That's amazing. Anyone can come. Is there any limit to his humility? He says, he, he says there's no, it's not the moral that get, that get, get water to drink. It's not the moral. He says, it's the thirsty. And he says, and we all thirst. So if anyone thirsts, you can come. If you're thirsty this morning, he says to you, you, you can come. You can come. Is there any depth that he will not stoop to in order to woo our hearts, to win our hearts? He is so open to you this morning. Secondly, let's see how personal he is. How personal he is. He says, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. There's only two people here. Anyone, which is you, which is me. And there's the me in this verse, which is Jesus. No one else is there complicating it. There's no priest involved. There's no pastor involved. The, the you that you really are, the unrehabilitated, actual you, with those deepest, darkest thoughts and feelings that you're embarrassed about, that you... That you that, lo- that longs for embarrassing things. That you that longs for petty and wicked and glorious things. That you is invited this morning to come to Jesus by faith. And he will receive you immediately and directly and personally. 
And you will taste His forgiveness and His mercy and His assurance and His clarity and His guidance and His friendship. And you will taste His sheer joy of His presence. You don't have to worry about the mechanics. You don't have to worry about the how-tos. He will make it work. He says, I will put my spirit in you. He takes that responsibility on himself. You don't have to be spiritually mature. You just have to be thirsty and come. And I love the, I love the tense of this. We lose this in English translations, but, but the tense of these verbs are, are, are really would be best translated. If anyone is thirsty, let him come and keep on coming. And let him drink and keep on drinking. It's an ongoing tense. He's like, if you're thirsty, come and keep coming. And drink and don't stop drinking. Keep on drinking. You never get beyond this. If you're empty, if you're hurting, if you're sick inside because of you've been avoiding Jesus and you've been drinking in the gutters of this world, you can come and drink and you can never stop drinking. And maybe you have been drinking from Jesus and you've been enjoying Him and you've been... You've been being refreshed by Him and renewed daily by Him. And his word to you today is that you never stop drinking from Him. Don't move beyond Him. He's the source of refreshment and renewal and cleansing and life and hope. And He's the only source. And so never move beyond Him. Simone Vale says this. It's on the screen behind me. It says, Nothing is so beautiful and wonderful, nothing so continually fresh and surprising, so full of sweet and perpetual ecstasy as the good. Nothing is so beautiful as the good. No desert is so dreary and monotonous and boring as evil. This is the truth about authentic good and evil. With fictional good and evil, it's the other way around. Fictional good is boring and flat, while fictional evil is varied and intriguing, attractive, profound, and full of charm. Isn't that true of our hearts? We always think that the evil, we always think that the way away from Jesus is what's going to be exciting, and what's going to fill us, and what's going to, you know, um, fill, is attractive to us, and what's profound. We think if we just find another way, we find our own way, if we find any way but Jesus, that's what's beautiful, that's what's good, but it's fiction. There's nothing so beautiful as the good. There's nothing so boring as the evil in reality. And we've all believed the lies. And we're so disappointed and embarrassed by what we've given ourselves to. And this morning, the invitation is to see the emptiness and be willing to just come to Jesus, to drink in the refreshing, living water that He is. And He personally invites you to come and indulge yourself in Him. He could not be more sincere to you this morning. And lastly, I want to see how generous he is. How generous he is. It says, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. We drink, and our sip becomes a stream, a river of living water. Jesus has physics we know nothing about. But here's the problem. There's a problem with that sentence. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. 
the problem is, is when Jesus refers to the scriptures, he's talking about the Old Testament scriptures. You really can't find any passage that he's quoting. There is nowhere in the Old Testament, really, that, that speaks of living water, which is really running water, always fresh, never stagnant. There, it's not in the Old Testament. What is, what, what's Jesus doing? What's he saying? This is amazing, actually, I think. He is, what I think he's doing is he is summing up the message of the whole Old Testament. Genesis to Malachi. The, the gist, here's the gist of it all. He reads the whole thing. He, he looks up and says, here's the summary. Here's the gist of it all. It's a message, a divine promise of overflowing human fullness and abundance and flourishing through me, through Christ, forever, for free, because you came. That's what the scripture is all about. That you will find flourishing, that you'll find wholeness, that you'll find refreshment, you'll find cleansing only through me. By this he meant the spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. By this he meant the spirit. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. To convince our hearts that refreshment and life and joy is found in Jesus. Romans 5, verse 5 is one of my favorite verses, but it's kind of a weird verse. It says, the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? What does that mean? The love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Here's what I think the primary work of the Holy Spirit is. We often talk about the spotlight ministry of the Holy Spirit. Is that the Holy Spirit takes ideas, concepts, thoughts. He takes ideas and he turns them into thirst-quenching realities in our hearts. He takes this idea that's just an idea and he turns that idea into a thirst-quenching reality for us. For example, God's love. Many believe in God's love. That God, If there is a God, certainly he would be a God of love. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. But is God's love like a cup of cold water on a hot day to you? Is it refreshment? Is it life-giving? Is it your source of everything good and pure and true and source of all joy? You see, the Holy Spirit has this spotlight ministry. You know, you've, you've probably been in a dark theater, right? In a, in a, 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 where where, where the, the lights go down. And the curtain's open, but it's still dark. And you see maybe some shadowy figures moving around on the stage a little bit. You know that something's there, but boom, the spotlight comes on. And all you can see is this person on the stage that the spotlight is illuminating. And your eye isn't drawn to the spotlight. Your eye isn't looking, wow, that's an amazing spotlight. Your eye is drawn to this person on the stage. And that person becomes dazzling and glorious. And, and, and your attention is fixed there. That's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit shines the spotlight so that we can see Jesus. And Jesus is glorious to us and dazzling to us. And our attention, he fixes our attention on Jesus, not on himself. He says, this is who Jesus is, and, and this is what he's all about, and this is why it's so important for you. And it becomes alive, and he says, this is how Jesus fills every need in your heart. That's the ministry of the Holy Spirit. That's what the Holy Spirit does to Jesus. 
And so Jesus says things like, I am your divine lover. I am your true king. I am your savior. I am your shepherd. I am your guide. I am your friend. I am your hope. I am your author and finisher of your faith. I'm the Lord of your personal history. He says, I am all of these things to you. In the, I am the road to the fulfillment of your craziest dreams. I am the prize at the end of the road. Jesus says all of these things, but what the Holy Spirit does is he takes these ideas and he makes them so glorious to you that you can't see anything else. And they become this thirst-quenching reality in your heart. And so the love of God becomes so real that it overwhelms any rejection that's, that's all around you. So you can take criticism. Because I have the love of God. I have the approval of God. And so if this person rejects me and criticizes me, you don't have to go fishing for affirmation anymore. You don't have to work the phones to see if your idea is a good one. You don't have to hang out only with people who like you and who are like you. I have the, I have the affirmation of the Father. And so I can go out to, to love people who may never love me in return. The love of God becomes more than an idea. The love of God becomes a thirst-quenching reality. Maybe the, take the wisdom of God. The Holy Spirit, you, you know, we believe, sure, God only wise, right? That God is wise. If, if there is a God, of course he's going to be wise. We believe that God is wise. We believe that God knows best. But what the Holy Spirit does is he takes the wisdom of God and he, and he, and he, and he shines our spotlight on Jesus so that we believe that the wisdom of God quenches our thirst. For wisdom. And so we don't have to be scared anymore. We don't have to worry anymore. When the, when the Spirit of God makes the wisdom of God more than an idea, it makes it big and glorious to us. It fills our vision and it captures our heart. We're scared of how life is turning out because we're, we're listening to our own wisdom. But when Holy, the Holy Spirit illuminates the wisdom of God to us. It becomes precious to us. It becomes refreshing to us. Or forgiveness. Forgiveness of sins. It can be just an idea. But the Holy Spirit loves to shine the spotlight on Jesus. As we see our sin, as we see our rebellion against God, as we see our neglect of God, as we see our um, rejection of God and it becomes more than an idea but we need, we need forgiveness we need to be reconciled with God and the Holy Spirit loves to convince us that it's available in Jesus and so Jesus becomes precious to us and it changes our hearts so we're free to forgive those who, who would harm us and wrong us the Holy Spirit loves to take the adoption of, that Jesus gives and, and impress it on our heart that you have a Father in heaven who will never leave you or forsake you. You're, an, you're a prince. You're a princess. You're adopted by the king. So you have authority in the name of Jesus. And he makes that precious to us. And he opens our eyes to see and he shines the spotlight in our hearts on Jesus. That's what the Holy Spirit loves to do so that he takes these ideas that are just out there, that, can, that our hearts can be so cold to, and he, and he loves to shine the spotlight on Jesus so that those ideas become thirst-quenching realities. And, and we understand that this is what my heart has been searching for all along. What my heart has been longing for and searching for and yearning for and desiring deep within me is found in Jesus and Jesus only. 
Revelation 7 ends the, the Bible wraps up this way with a beautiful story. And he says this, For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. The Lamb will be their shepherd. It's great, isn't it? The Lamb will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. That's your future, child of God. That's your future. That the Lamb who was slain will be our shepherd, the good shepherd, who knows us by name calls us by name and will lead us into the river of living water that he will refresh your soul forever that every tear will be wiped away in the end and so it is our privilege to drink his truth together it is our privilege to plunge into his fullness of grace upon grace together soaking ourselves drinking him in believing the gospel enjoying him splashing each other for the sheer joy of it all. And so for 2,000 years, Jesus has been pouring rivers of living water into people just like you. With a happiness and a hope that this world cannot give and this world cannot take. Jesus died and sent the Holy Spirit to give this to you. And so he invites you to come to him this morning. His heart is wide open to you this morning. Pray, Father in heaven, convince us, convince us that joy and truth and happiness and fulfillment and meaning and mercy and forgiveness and reconciliation is found nowhere but in Jesus. Our hearts, Lord, are prone to wander. Our hearts are prone to look and treat Jesus like the last resort. We want it. We think we think that the evil things of this world are, are where the excitement is, where 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 the pleasure is. But Lord, this it's stagnant water, it's polluted water. It's gutter water. It's salt water. It just makes us thirstier. So, Father, whatever it is for every heart in this room, whatever our hearts are searching for, whether it's affirmation, whether that's comfort, whether it's safety, whether it's provision, whether it's forgiveness and cleansing, Lord, whatever our hearts are thirsty for this morning, as we even just now pause and, and come to you, Lord, we come. I pray, Holy Spirit, shine the spotlight on Jesus this morning. Shine the spotlight on Jesus. Jesus, we exalt you and we praise you for your life for us. Jesus, we praise you for your death for us. Jesus, we praise you for your resurrection for us. Jesus, we praise you that you've ascended and you're right now at the throne of the Father, or at the right hand of the Father, for us, interceding for us. Jesus, we praise you that one day you will return for us. We want to turn away, Lord, from those thousand other things that woo our hearts, and we want to center our hearts on you this morning. Pray in the name of Jesus, amen. We believe that God's word is not complete until it's elicited a response from us a response in community and a response of worship and so that's how we've structured our times together on Sundays so this is an